Welcome to the Hoban Minute, a podcast that will shift your perspective on the business, politics, and culture of the hemp and marijuana industries. I'm your host, Xavier Jaillet. It's 420 somewhere, so let's dive in. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hoban Minute. I'm your host, Xavier, and I am joined today, as I always am, by Bob Hoban, who is joining us from a global location today, which is, uh, I think, relevant for the conversation and the guests we're going to have. How are you, Bob? I'm doing well, uh, Xavier. Always good to be here. And, and indeed, yes, I am. Uh, I'm traveling internationally right now, and uh, uh, it, it highlights the importance uh, and the increasing relevance of the discussion we're about to have with our guest today, which I'm excited to, to talk yes, about. And, yes, yes. Um, and with that, you know, it's actually a great pleasure to introduce our guest, uh, Kevin Schultz, who is the co-founder and president of 357 Company. 357 is a logistics group um, that, that provides services to hemp and cannabis operators. And they are, you know, likely known to some of our listeners through some of their um, subsidiaries and kind of subdivisions. Um, 357 Hemp, 357, I think it's Global Canna. Um, but I'll turn that right to you, Kevin, to, uh, to let us know how you're doing and also kind of what's going on with 357. Yeah. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's a pleasure. Um follow both of your work and uh, it's it's really a privilege to be on the show thanks for having me of course no it's a pleasure to have you um and i think you know someone with your background and kind of your current position in the uh in the cannabis industry and particularly in the global space um you'll be able to provide some great insights and we're, i'm looking forward to the conversation today um yeah so with that why don't we jump right in um so you know i, I was doing a little research on your background kevin before getting on the call here um, and I noted that, you know, while right now you are focused, of course, on cannabis logistics, it's not your first foray into um, the cannabis industry. So can you tell us a little bit about kind of your prior experience in the cannabis space um, and how that prepared you for, for what you're doing right now with 357? Yeah, sure. Happy to. Um, I think it was about 2014, Illinois started to discuss um, uh, the disbursement of licenses with their medical program. And had some friends who won those licenses or lucky to win those licenses and uh, really was was looking to, to break into the cannabis field. I had a passion for it um, and was lucky enough to, to get on with Pharmacan. Uh, they're still one of the largest privately owned multi-state operators um, operating uh, domestically here in the United States. And I was brought in to start and uh, scale their wholesale division. So was privy to getting into the cultivation centers, really understanding products, and then going out and getting them on the shelf at third-party dispensaries and also at the dispensaries we did own since we were vertical. Um, my second stop was with a company called Verano. They're now publicly traded, had more of a higher level, I call it optimizing sales and operations, um, opening new facilities, really scaling across the country. It was a moment during 2016 to 19 where cannabis really scaled fast. It was that hockey stick moment. Everyone was getting licenses and getting you know operational as quick as possible. And I was lucky to be on that team and learn from guys like George Arcos and uh, in his squad. So um, you know, it was during 2019 where I started to pay attention a little bit to the hemp industry and noticed the farm bill um, was allowing transportation of product over state lines, complied product, and really saw a tremendous vulnerability for the supply chain. If someone who didn't have the best interest and was familiar with the plant 
didn't step in and, and kind of develop those SOPs for transportation that the supply chain um, may be uh, left vulnerable. So it was uh, in the fall of 2019 that I decided to step away and start the 357 company. And, and one of the divisions the industry knows us well as is 357 Hemp Logistics. And um, here we are four years later, um, well known in the industry, consider ourselves a uh, uh, a peer to everyone in the supply chain and a friend uh, to most and um, just really take a passion with everything we do to make sure we remain in compliant and protecting our, our partners' investments when we're, we're transporting it. Well, Kevin, that, that's certainly a good way to do business, generally speaking, but in this space, uh, becoming a peer, becoming a friend, a, a trusted colleague in the space is is, is in part uh, some of some of our secret sauce, if you will. And, and uh, I'm glad you said that because sometimes we we forget how important relationships are uh, because we all move so fast in this space. But, you know, I really wanted to start with the, the notion of 357 Logistics and, and the name. And, you know, I'll tell you a little story. Um, I was lucky to be part of a, a company um, that imported the two largest hemp seed shipments in U.S. history, at least at the time. You might tell me things have changed, um, but that was 2015 in the Right after the passage of the 2014 Farm Bill, we had two distinct shipments, one from Poland, one from Ukraine, of all places, uh, where it was an entire DHL airplane full of hemp seed in super sacks. Uh, And to get those seeds into the country under the 2014 Farm Bill versus the 2018 Farm Bill, we had to partner with uh, an organization that had something called a 357 permit. That 357 permit was a DEA registration that authorized uh, groups to import uh, controlled substances or things attached to controlled substances. In this case, it was cannabis seeds. So while the Farm Bill of 2014 did sort of carve out hemp and excluded it from the Controlled Substances Act, the DEA wasn't uh, so convinced. And the Department of Agriculture here in Colorado uh, was kind enough to to extend a, a partnership with the, the, our company at the time, and uh, we imported two airplanes full of industrial hemp seeds, uh, about 35 metric tons in each plane, and uh, they came into the country. There were some challenges after the fact, but needless to say, we obtained a 357 permit in advance so that the DEA knew it was coming, and then when it came, the DEA was flabbergasted. They couldn't believe that there was airplanes full of hemp or cannabis seeds sitting on a runway and things have changed dramatically since then which we'll dive into a little bit and then obviously that's your bread and butter but talk a little bit about the 357 because um i have a notion that it was serendipitous and if it is then you were definitely at the right place at the right time (laughs) funny enough we did not name the company after that registration um but when we did um, discover that registration as we moved into the international markets, we knew it was meant to be. Um, it was just one of those moments that y- you say to yourself, you know, we must be on to something. We mu- this must be our, you know, our vision quest, so to speak. And, and, and that, that was, just, that I still can remember that moment when my partner, Jeremy Powers handles all of our international projects. He's been shipping high value pharmaceutical, um, type products internationally for a few decades. And, and he was the one that discovered that registration form when we were starting to look into getting into the international market. So that was, that was a big day. No, it's too funny. And so, so if, if, uh, if the DEA license wasn't kind of the impetus of the name, what was? 
You know, um, we had the, uh, the, the numbers in mind, um, uh, what we wanted to call the company, the partners and I, and we hired a outside uh, marketing firm to just do a little bit of a analysis on logistics companies in general. And what they found was most companies, if not all, didn't have numbers in their names. Um, and, and it was a lot of lot of different animals and so forth. So we knew that we're, we we had something unique there. And, and the numbers go way back in time. There's there's thousands of years ago, three fives and sevens were used to, for, for building measurements and stairs, cases and so forth. You can look it up. And uh, it's a whole rabbit hole, believe it or not, after the fact that we realized. Um, but we, we, we wanted to go with numbers. We went with them. It's it's been really good to us. Uh, it's been a great way for the company to uh, be remembered by folks and then also diversify as we launch our, our divisions as we grow. Well, so let's talk a little bit about, you know, some of those divisions, right? Because I think something that I certainly wanted to cover today was really kind of what 357 is engaged in in a global perspective and, and how, you know, you are working with your clients to help distribute these products, you know, not only domestically across state lines, as you said, was the... Uh, you know, which was the original reason for the formation of the company. Um, but but now, you know, you've expanded those capabilities to to cover borders, right? So country to country um, across, you know, the Atlantic, the Pacific, as we start to see some of these global cannabis logistic channels start to develop. Um, so so how has 357 kind of responded to that growth? Um, and, and what are you guys looking to do in the global market um, in the coming years? Yeah, it's a good question. So, you know, back to when we started domestically and it's kind of the same mindset we we've we've taken the same approach here internationally as well when we started the company we had the farm bill to basically tell us we can do this but we wanted to respect each state individually and we literally went out and met with each individual states the ones that would meet with us and um really just asked them what are you what are you looking for you know there was a lot of the conversations around is it Delta 9, is it total THC? I drew the line in the sand with our company early on coming from cannabis that we're going total THC regardless, you know, we're taking this product over state lines. I don't want to get into a pickle match, um, you know, with a sheriff or, or a state that potentially had, you know, total THC as a prerequisite within their state. And sure enough, that's what we started to find out that a lot of the states were different. Um, there were different licenses that they asked us to get, you know, one-time licenses, checkpoints to stop at. And, uh, you know, really we, we knew we were on to something and we knew that that kind of complexity was going to bring value for our company if we really understood that and our partners can count on it. So we now that we've moved internationally, you know, Jeremy and, and, and myself have taken that same approach to is as we're each country is different and, and it's much different than you know going over a domestic border you know you're dealing with different government officials different departments a lot more paperwork um and you know different rules and, and regulations at that you know country level so to speak so um jeremy you know does takes on a lot of that brunt and is actively building out our lanes you know between countries i think we're we're probably over 25 now that we've gone in and out of and um probably about seven or eight um in the pipeline that uh, we're ready to go when when partners are ready to go um one thing we found though is you know a lot of deals do fall through unfortunately so uh, we just got to be ready we got to be a resource to the partners as much as we can that are doing the deals and really encourage them like we do domestically to get way ahead of those logistics conversations whether it's how much it's going to cost budgeting and also the particulars and, and some things they have to do that we can't do for them. 
Well, well, Kevin, you know, one of the most important things when you're talking about import and export and, you know, really what you've, what you've put yourself in the middle of and, and mastered it is, is so critical as this global supply chain builds out. But the, the idea of tariff codes, right? The idea that there are uniform tariff codes globally that uh, apply to just about every product. And some countries require that you have a very specific uh, verified tariff code uh, correlated to your product to bring it into the country. Other states are a little bit, uh, other countries rather, are a little bit more loose on that. Can you talk mm. a little bit about tariff codes? Because this is all a matter of first impression, largely. I mean, on the hemp side, yeah. there are some hemp relevant tariff codes, but they don't necessarily squarely fit cannabinoid extracts and the like. And then when you're talking about marijuana uh, uh, extracts, marijuana uh, flower and the like, which is, you know, sort of making that legal distinction between hemp and marijuana as the legal terms, um, tariff codes are, are a bit of an anomaly. So maybe you can talk about that because let me just give you some context. I, 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 we represent a number of Kratom suppliers and several Kratom suppliers that are importing Kratom or Kratom from Southeast Asia right now are being prosecuted for tax fraud for using inappropriate um, tariff codes. And I haven't seen mm. that in the cannabis space, but you know it's possible given that some companies, at least in the early days, were using tariff codes, for example, things like floor wax or fertilizer, when that squarely didn't apply. But there's also not a lot of help out there. Maybe you can talk about tariff codes. Yeah, I can just briefly touch on them. And Jeremy, my partner, would be able to go much deeper than I. So, so I don't want to lead you on, on that I'm a tariff code expert. But I, I've been on enough calls with him and in enough meetings to realize how important they are. And, you know, they, they, and they can vary. You're exactly right, depending on where you're going, the pro type of product you're shipping. And that's really what we're obsessed with. And it's similar to, you know, I think of class of freight here domestically too. You know, they, there's, there's a right way to do these, these shipments. And, you know, one thing we pride ourselves and we tell our partners is, look, we're not just going to get you in once and we all celebrate and then let's hope the second one goes through. Even when you're sending samples, we want to make sure that everything is, pr we're, we're proving out the, the, the process, you know? And so when this sucker makes it through, this shipment makes it through, we can count on that. You can then scale and count on the second, third and, and the hundredth to go through the same way. So um, those are extremely important to pay attention to. Um, I can't, unfortunately, go too deep into the tariff code. Um, we could follow up with Jeremy on that on a second conversation. But, um, you know, it's just one of those extremely important parts of shipping a highly sensitive product that you're going over borders of countries and, and you got to have it right. So um, hopefully that answers your question. I apologize. I couldn't go too deep into that that topic. No, no. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you're you're a company with 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 multiple employees and and, and certainly successful import and exports for for some time now. So so you you've clearly done this correctly. But you know, there are challenges, and you know, maybe talk a little bit about the fact that if I'm bringing it to country X, bringing it whether that's a marijuana product or a uh, a hemp product, uh, uh, I I need to make sure that that country, the recipient country, if you will. Um, understands that where it's produced from is lawful and you know the, the supply chain the chain of custody uh, can can prove it prove it out and and then there's a bunch of other laws that sort of come into play that may not squarely apply because it's cannabis uh, although there, there's a little more scrutiny on those laws because it's cannabis but uh, talk about some of the challenges there and some of the earlier ones that you've worked on where 
you know, maybe two countries didn't see eye to eye or you couldn't get the documentation on one side or the other. What, what is it, what is required to, to get complex international trades uh, done such as this? Yeah, you know, it's, it, it, you really need a good partner. You know, so let's say you're, you're the shipper and, and then you have the receiver on the other line, other side. That's where we come at in the middle. And, and, and a lot of times, believe it or not, the shipper won't know what the receiver needs and, and, and vice versa. And, you know, going back to the taxes, we had one recently where the receiving company um, had to pay the taxes and, 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 and the product got held up for a while because there was a little bit of a discrepancy between the two party on who was going to pay the taxes on the shipment. So um, I would say that it's so fluid that, that you, you can't appreciate how much time and attention to detail and communication with both parties, the shipper and the recipient, and then also both countries. You know, we're going as deep as talking to government officials, um, working with customs, um, just really trying to vet out anything that potentially can go wrong before we put the wheels in motion. Once international shipments get moving, they're unlike domestic, unless you're really doing something wrong here and it ends up, you know, with the DEA or something, you know, more times than not, you can get that product out of holding here domestically. When you're talking international and, and, and product starts to get searched or seized or, you know, put in quarantine, it is extremely difficult to not only get it out, but you also incur a major amount of warehousing and storage fees on a daily basis. So um, unfortunately, we get calls pretty much weekly to help people get out of trouble that they found themselves in. And, and we always try to help. Um, and then we, we, we ask them to make sure they work with us the next time. But, you know, uh, believe it or not, sometimes it's the simplest mistake that we found that people do um, that end up getting things tripped up. And then once in the international market, something gets stalled, then they start to look deeper and they find other errors. And that's when things can really, really get uh, messy for folks. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, kind of indicative or, or at least, you know, relevant to the rest of cannabis too, to where, you know, cannabis operators and business operators are typically dealing with so much noise and, and, you know, kind of extra inputs and things coming in at them that they barely have the time to focus on, you know, kind of business fundamentals, right? So they always forget about, to your point, some of the simple critical things like, hey, make sure you pay your taxes or, you know, make sure the customs officials know that this, this shipment's coming through. Um, and right. that, you know, can end up being fatal to that shipment. Um, one thing, you know, you mentioned that that right now you guys are kind of actively deploying shipments in 25 countries, which was a surprising number to me. Um, you know, we do cover international cannabis quite frequently on this podcast. So our listeners are familiar with some of the hot countries out there, you know, Colombia, Germany, pending legalization. We got Canada that's obviously a first mover when it comes to the international space. Um, but maybe you can kind of help shed some light on some of those, those channels that exist that people might not be aware of um, between, you know, countries, whether or not the U.S. is involved? Yeah, sure. You know, a couple of them are right on the cusp, too, that we're, ex we're really excited about, um, Japan being one of them. Um, you know, we do, obviously, a lot out of Colombia, um, going to the common names, you know, Switzerland. Um, we, we do a fair bit into Australia. Um, Ecuador, um, Portugal really seems to be uh, firing up quite a bit lately. Um Let's see, where else should we should we talk about, um, you know, pretty much most of the, the EU, I think, is where, where most of the, the shipments are, are heading into. Um, and, you know, we do have partners that will take it door to door once they do get into the country, too. A lot of times the, the 
folks that are on the receiving end will take the product from us once we once we cross um, and get passed through through customs. So, um, but yeah, I mean, we have a whole list of, of of them on our website. You can check out, and um, I'm really excited about the seven or eight that we got in the pipeline that we've we've been able to. I believe, um, you know, get be one of the first groups that have been approved to bring product in um, as far as a logistics company. Now we're just waiting on some of those deals to close. Yeah, it's unique that you guys are really taking a heavy lift with engaging with the governments in these countries um, to help them, you know, formulate what they want. Because a lot of the time, you know, Bob and I work with with other government officials or stakeholders in the process, and often they just have no idea what they're looking for or what they even want as an end you know, end model. Um, so having yeah. that kind of outside influence, that experienced influence um, can really help. And then, you know, you then have that close relationship with a key stakeholder in the government that then, of course, helps you down the road right. when it comes to actually getting shipments into that country. Um, For sure. Yeah, so that's fascinating. Um, and, 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 and we, and just being out there hearing mistakes folks are making, you know, sometimes there, there's a shipment that, you know, we'll be a part of that does get pulled for a moment. And, you know, how do you navigate those situations, you know, without experiencing them, you know, once, and, uh, once you get those types of experiences under your belt, you know, kind of things you can't prepare for, um, really helps us when we do go into that country again, how to navigate those challenges or anticipate something that might come up or at least warn our shippers that we, Hey, we've seen this before, you know, do you really want to bring product, this type of product into that, that uh, country? And what's, what's fascinating is, we're not just talking about cannabis moving. There, there's just so many very various types of the product. You know, you have vapes, you have, you know, bulk material, you have isolates, you have, um, you know, flour. So it's not just, and then you have various cannabinoids folks are trying to move, you know, with the amount of calls we get for HHC and, you know, you name the, the cannabinoid. Um, so there's just a lot. It's not just, Hey, we want to move some cannabis. There's what type, what, what type of form is the product in what type of can, which cannabinoid is it? And so it's a lot of sorting through and in some countries, it's just a no, no to bring some of those in. Um, and ironically, some of those countries do manufacture those products within their country. They just don't want it coming in from other countries. You know, Kevin, I, I was dealing with some HHC-related issues just this morning. And, uh, you know, the notion that this particular recipient country was saying, well, uh, well, we'll allow it, but but please tell me what the U.S.'s position is on that particular product. It wasn't even coming from the United States, by the way. The, the, the source material was coming from a Latin American source. But my point is, how, how often is the U.S.'s position on a particular compound relevant, even if the shipment doesn't touch the United States? You know, I, Bob, I think it's one of those things that all eyes are on the U.S., right? I mean, everyone's anticipating, you know, some sort of federal legalization and, and they know the market we have here. And I think they kind of look to us um, to, you know, kind of guide them on, on what, what they should be dabbling in and, and not, which, which is interesting to me because we have such a wedge driven between the hemp industry and the cannabis industry here and domestically. But when you work in the international markets, you have industrial hemp, sure, but everything, everyone calls, you know, cannabis, cannabis. And it's just depending on the, the THC percent is kind of where states draw the line, whether it's allowed or not. So um, it's interesting that they do look towards us. I think it's, it's saying something. Um, and I think it's a responsibility we have to really figure out, you know, some challenges we have right now on, on, on lab testing here stateside. Well, and, and I'm glad you said that because that's really something that I've always preached is that this, 
this really, really sharp distinction between hemp derived products and marijuana derived products. Again, using the legal the legal terms here in the United States, it's really, really sharp and really, really divisive. And frankly, it's it's one of those things that you you can't you can't talk to a, around a dinner table about one particular topic uh, without offending somebody that might be uh, on, on the other topic in the U.S. But but globally, there's less of a distinction. If you're talking about a product that comes from the cannabis plant that's intended, at least in part, for human consumption or perhaps a vessel for for human consumption, then those things are treated and regulated in a different way. And it's kind of a, an analogous way where the, the lines between hemp and marijuana are blurred, as you point out, outside of the industrial uses. So, so I, I think that's interesting. And I think that's that's an important takeaway for anyone listening to this podcast is that, you know, internationally, it is it is not what you're used to. And it's quite big business these days. Uh, as you point out, you're, you're shipping into a couple dozen countries or more. Um, but every week, it seems like a new country comes online, so to speak. And uh, that's going to require some navigation um, as, as, we, as we unfold here. But, you know, one of the things I'm, I'm curious about is how, at the end of the day, um, do you present when you interface with these governments? Because I've, I've been in, interfacing with some international governments on certain things over the years. And the first call, they, they can't believe they're talking to someone that calls himself a lawyer talking about cannabis, for example, in a way that we're talking about, like it's a just a commodity and that it's a it's a substance that that's legal in these jurisdictions, even if it's legal in that jurisdiction. How often do you deal with uh, bureaucrats or agency people that that ultimately just can't believe that this is what they're dealing with? And what's that learning curve look like? So it's interesting. A lot of times we'll we will get introduced to those folks from the the, the parties that want to do the deal together. So there's nothing like being on the ground in the country. We're never going to replace that. And a lot of these folks, luckily that we ship for are trying to do things the right way. So they've done a lot of advocacy in their country. They've built relationships with folks that are going to give them the green green light to bring product in. So, um, but a lot of times, and it's not surprising, uh, but it still comes as a shock at times is when you're in those conversations a lot of times you're sniffing out, this is the first time that these folks have had these types of conversations, these government officials. And, you know, they, they've obviously had some conversations internally, but now it's almost, you know, game time. And, you know, they're now talking to the folks on the other, uh, other end, like us who are going to be bringing this product in and it's, it's, it's becoming very real for them. And, and, and really, I think if you have that mindset and they, they truly understand you're trying to do things the right way and you're trying to abide by everything that you're, they're asking them to, we seem to have good luck with that approach. Um, you know, I don't think there's a real special sauce besides, you know, Hey, what do you want us to do? What are you looking for? What don't you want? And let us help you go out there and just detract people from bringing, trying to bring product into your country and, and the wrong way. And so we could kind of go out there and, and translate their messaging to the industry and avoid, you know, a lot of learning, tough learning experiences and headaches for them. So it reminds me a lot of early on in the United States when we would be in meetings with, with local officials at the state level trying to, to move, move on a, a medical program. And, you know, you had folks, this was new to them. There's a lot of education involved. But I think if you took the right approach with those folks, they came around and, and you ended up having a successful program. Um, so that's, that's it's interesting. And a lot of these conversations are new and um, it's still very early on, which is exciting for us, but it's a huge responsibility. 
Yeah, no, and I think the parallels to the U.S. that's appropriate, right? A lot of the time, the conversation is, "Hey, this this is happening anyways. Let's bring it into the you know a regulated industry. Let's tax it. Let's create jobs, and let's let you, the government official, you know, have have a little win, and then you know you can claim some some tax revenue or some dollars for the government um, in the long sure. run, right? So, um, well, so one thing you know, and I think we're we're getting close to the end here, Kevin. But it's been a great conversation. You know, the one thing I, I wanted to definitely give you an opportunity to do, and I think you know, it's actually relevant to the conversation we've been having, because you mentioned multiple times that, you know, logistics means many things, right? There's there's the partners that you're working with in a country that handle, you know, last mile delivery, right? Um, there's the distribution partners, there's the folks that are kind of initially putting together fitments and finding, um, you know, lawyers, I would assume, that are helping with some of the custom stuff and, and you know, making sure the right forms are executed and things like that. Can you give us a rundown of 357, kind of, you know, what the various arms are and the services that you do provide? Um, give our listeners a little background on kind of the, you know, the actual work that 357 is doing um, across all of your, you know, subdivisions. Yeah, sure. I mean, the simplest way to put it is we, we can handle everything door to door. Um, and, you know, we're, we're extremely client driven. I think you've heard a lot of that from me on this call is, you know, we're, we're obsessed with getting to know you and, and, and really understanding the, the uh, dynamics of what you're trying to do and, and, and want to go out there and really make sure it goes smooth. So, um, you know, we handle everything from hemp to cannabis internationally, obviously. And, and then here in the States, I mean, we, we do a, a lot of last mile delivery for both businesses and, and direct to consumer for freight outside of the hemp industry, you know, think of cosmetics and food box kits and uh, apparel companies. Um, so, you know, we're very experienced at logistics. We just decided that we wanted to take on a couple of unique niches, you know, hemp being one of them, you know, here domestically and early on and, and really leave that legacy um, for the industry. You know, every everything we do, we always say we got the best interest of the supply chain in mind. And, you know, early on, no one was really thinking about logistics and transportation. They had a lot of other important things to think about. Where am I getting my genetics? Who's going to process? Who's going to buy my biomass? You know, <laughs> is the processor going to back out on me? You know, we, we, we know the challenges of the supply chain. But one thing that still today uh, that we find folks is now the industrial side of our, our supply chain fires up is there isn't that appreciation for logistics and transportation. I, I think it's just one of those things they feel like is going to be there and there's going to be an option and they're going to shop on price and, and, and they're, they're going to be able to move it from A to B. But I'll tell you what. When you're moving hemp, even on the industrial side, the industry really needs to pay attention. Um, they, truck drivers and trucking companies do not have to move this. Uh, even if the farm bill says it's legal, they do not have to move it. We are huge advocates behind the scenes, setting up meetings, constantly building out our partner network, educating drivers, educating tr companies to willingly move this product for the supply chain. And you know, as of recent, there has been a little bit of a shift in this, what we call LTL network. And what that is, and I'll quickly touch on it because I know we want to wrap up, but it's just so important right now as industrial hemp starts to fire up. Industrial hemp wants to put a lot of this freight on what we call shared vehicles. It's the LTL network, less than a truckload. On the cannabinoid side, we've almost solely operated on dedicated vehicles. We have hemp cargo insurance that covers those vehicles. When you start moving hemp derived products on a shared truck where there's cross stocking, pallets getting taken on and off the truck, the, the increase of theft is tremendous. Damaged goods is tremendous. 
And what you find though, is within that pathway, there could potentially be a trucking company that's taken that second leg that refuses it and mm -hmm. isn't educated on, on hemp it being allowed or, you know, what is this product? It looks, it smells like marijuana. So, you know, I, I encourage there, there's some tremendous associations and, and groups that are fighting in Washington for some very meaningful rule changes and sensible policy that they continuously talk about transportation and logistics. Because in the LTL side, I'll leave you with this. There's about eight companies, major companies that control, I would guess, 85 to 90 percent of the, uh, less than a truckload freight. If lobbyists from the marijuana industry get a hold of those folks, and, put, and ask them to put a break. This is just a conspiracy theory. I'll put the brakes on the hemp industry right now or the cotton industry, you name it. There's a lot of folks that don't want hemp to succeed. And if they get to these transportation companies and they put the brakes on moving this product in less than truckload shipments, the industry's in big trouble, and especially the industrial side. So, you know, get behind a company like us, support us. It breaks my heart when I see them just shopping on price and shipping with major trucking companies and corporations. Um, we're here for you and, and we're giving everybody a fair shake and we have hemp cargo insurance. So um, that's kind of my message to the industry right now and what we're hearing out there and kind of some shifts recently, but it's something everybody needs to be paying attention, attention to because it's really the circulatory system of any supply chain, but especially when you have a sensitive product like we're all trying to dabble in. Oh, yeah. No. And I think that's, you know, again, another relevant message for for anyone servicing the cannabis space, right? It's that, you know, you can't really have one toe in and then pretend like you're a cannabis operator or a cannabis service provider. Um, you really got to jump all in and then make sure you understand the industry better than your clients do. Or else at the end of the day, you're going to do them a disservice. Um, and, you know, in your case, potentially cause some shipment or some product to get held up somewhere. You know, I remember a client of ours called us when they had a bunch of, uh, distillate that had been sitting on an LTL truck to your point um, in, you know, direct sunlight and heat for, it was like three days or something like that. And they're like, what are we supposed to do with this? You know, fully converted into yeah. fully decarboxylated and everything. Um, wow. So yeah, it's a, it's a problem. Um, and, you know, while we, we love working with our clients at the end of the day, we prefer if our clients didn't have to call their lawyers, um, you know, to deal with any sort of issue like this. And they instead from the get-go worked with a, a company like 357 um, that was, you know, fully in and committed to seeing the product sure. um, get to the destination. So yeah, there's a there's a tremendous upstream and downstream impact when anything gets slowed up. Um, so truly. yeah, I, I, I hear you on that one. Well, Kevin, um, it's been a great pleasure chatting with you. Um, if some of our listeners want to reach out, want to contact 357 for some services, what is the best way for them to find you? Yeah, for sure. Obviously, go to our website, 357company.com. You can request a a meeting with us, or or if you have something that's urgent, request a quote right from the website. Um, you can also dial in at 844-357-SHIP, which is 7447. Um, I personally um, vet every single hemp and cannabis customer myself. Um, so expect a call from me or an email to set up a call. Um, we want to really, truly understand your service requirements and your needs. Um, express, you know, translate to you our familiarity with not only shipping and logistics, but the plan itself. And I think that really puts people at ease once they, they get to know us and know that we are a part of the supply chain. So reach out anytime, even if you don't have anything to ship. If you just want to chat logistics and talk about budgets or a deal you might have pending that you're thinking through, uh, we're happy to jump on with you. No, I love that. Um, really appreciate you coming on. And Bob, you know, you've been having a, a, an interesting time down there in Mexico, it looks like. So I'm going to leave it to you um, to bring us home and wrap this episode up. 
Well, uh, needless to say, uh, Kevin, the, the industry wouldn't be where it's at without uh, professional service providers such as yourself. Uh, so thank you for doing what you do. Keep on doing it. And, and we're here to support you in any way possible. And uh, thanks for your time this afternoon. This was enlightening. And uh, hopefully our listeners take something away. And uh, hopefully uh, as this evolves and becomes more mainstream, dare I say, uh, that the the clarity between countries, uh, whether that's tariff codes, whether that's uh, standard operating procedures or the like, uh, hopefully those things get clearer and clearer. And I know that's something that you're going to make sure happens uh, along the way. So thank you for everything you do. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Thanks for everything you guys do for the industry. And uh, I'm sure we'll be working hard together in those international markets to dial in those SOPs for the industry. So you guys uh, keep doing what you're doing and we look forward to doing this again sometime soon. Thanks for joining us for another enlightening conversation. If you liked what you heard, hit that subscribe button to get all future episodes fresh out of the studio. Suggestions for topics or guests for the show, please send them to hello at bobhoban.com. And as always, thanks to Benzinga for powering the Hoban Minute.